Happy Sunday. Uh, today is the, is what is today? The fourth Sunday after the Feast of the Epiphany? Or the fifth? The fourth, I think. The fourth. Very good. Well, the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy immortal one, uh, we give thanks for the gift of this new day, for the gift of Sunday in our lives, uh, where your community, your people gather uh, to lift up our hearts in praise and thanksgiving to worship you and, and to serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. We thank you for the gift of baptism uh, and ask that today, as we think about the liturgy, the rite of baptism, that you would renew uh, the grace that we received uh, when we were grafted into your body, the church. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, who lives. Amen. Amen. So the rite of baptism, do you remember it? Do you remember yours? Yes, Emma will remember yours. Jan does. Nine? That's fabulous. Were you dunked? No. Less fabulous. Just kidding. <laughs> so uh, the rite of baptism, one of the things that happened in the early church is that when people were getting prepared, adults, young adults, and adults were being prepared for the sacrament of holy baptism, they would enter into this process called, wait for it, the catechumenate. Crazy idea that we had to do this catechumenate thing. Uh, we're just entering into a process that started in the early church. And a catechumen was someone who was preparing to be baptized. And they would take instruction from the local priest or bishop and, um, you know, when it would come time for the sacrament of Holy Eucharist in the liturgy after the peace, um, the catechumens would be dismissed, which, you know, sounds like not inclusive and mean or something, but it's not. It's fine. It's like you're getting prepared for something that is going to change your life. You're committed to it. Um, you, need, you know, the doors are closed for communion for those who have entered into this life and you're about to join that. That's kind of exciting. And if it's not exclusive if you're saying everyone can be baptized. Um, but now I'm ranting. It's just, it's just to say everyone was welcome and to prepare your heart, your mind, your soul to receive the grace that is in baptism, you're gonna prepare yourself for it. That in my mind is actually quite hospitable and caring that we're gonna take it seriously for you to get prepared uh, for this, this great mystery, which remember the sacraments are, mysterion in the Greek, mysteries, where the grace of Jesus is poured into our hearts. So adults would be baptized most often at the Easter vigil. And that would happen either at, in the evening, on Easter Eve, as we do here at seven o'clock, um, or it would happen, you know, we do things kind of easier these days than some of the early church did where they might keep an all night vigil and you'd have to stand up the whole time. Um, very hardcore. Um, but the, the catechumens were there and they would be uh, ready and eager to enter into the pools of baptism. And very often um, when, when the church became uh, able to build its own buildings, there would be a baptistry. 
Sometimes you'd have to exit the church and go to the baptistry. Sometimes it would be connected like the baptistry we have upstairs. You may know that in between the chapel and the church, like big Reredos and altar, there's that little space where the acolytes gather and the choir sings the intro at the 1115. That's a, that room is actually a real uh, room with quite a lot of history in the, in the life of the church called a baptistry. And we have a baptismal font there. Um, we use it from time to time if there's a smaller service of, of baptism rather than on a, on a Sunday morning. Um, so um, the, the catechumens would process after the, the vigil readings. They would process to the baptistry and they would very often be dumped into a cruciform cross-shaped pool of water all the better if it was living water, like a natural source that was filling it up and there was a stream of some sort. Um, and you'd be plunged in the name of the Father, plunged again in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, naked. So cool. Um, and then you would receive this white garment, kind of like the alb that we wear. Um, that would be a sign of your life marked as Christ's own forever. And you would go in back into the church for the celebration of Holy Communion, you know, and, and the, the lights have just been sort of candlelight. It's happening in the dark. You were dunked into the water, presumably with a little bit of force um, and, and lifted up into this new life. And then you would feed on Christ in the sacrament. It's kind of beautiful and romantic to visualize the power uh, at work in that kind of drama of liturgy. Um, and something I always like to remind our families who are preparing for baptism is that um, when you would be asked the questions of the renunciations, do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? You would say, you would spit on the ground and say, I renounce them. Another practice I think we should bring back. Um, so, you know, three renunciations where you would be facing the West. And then for the affirmations, you would turn and you would face the East. And why do we face the East? It's where the sun rises. We're not, we're not sort of turning East towards Jerusalem because you could live East of Jerusalem. We turn East because it's the rising of the sun. Um, and origin of Alexandria and all kinds of church fathers talk about when you are praying um, in the morning or whenever you pray, turn yourself to face the east. Um, I sometimes think about that. and I'm like, wait, which direction am I going right now? It's kind of fun to think about, though, just like what am I doing and why with my body and, and my heart and mind? So um, when we are uh, presented in baptism, as adults, we have sponsors, uh, but the questions that the celebrant, the priests, or the bishop asks of the catechumen um, are questions for the adult. You know, do you renounce Satan? Do you accept Jesus as your savior? I do. Um, if it's a baby or an infant or a toddler, rather, rather, um, the godparents and the sponsors, we ask them, do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces? I do. You know, do you turn to Jesus and accept him as Lord? I do. Um, will you do everything that you can to 
raise this child in the knowledge and, and love of God. We, we will, I will, the candidate sponsor says rather. So it's a big responsibility. And that's why uh, you, you must be a Christian to be a sponsor for baptism because you're, it would be very insincere for you to say, do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I do, and I'm Jewish or something, you know, like, no. But we at St. James, you know, we invite people who are Jewish family friends to be um, up there with, uh, with the family, if that's meaningful, you know, Buddhist, Hindu, atheist, agnostic, whatever, all are welcome to be up there. But the, the sponsors are saying Christian things, confessing the faith and saying that they're gonna raise, raise the child in this way. And then of course, we are asked every time, will all of you witnessing these vows, and I had a wedding last night, so I'm probably gonna start talking wedding language, but will all of you who witness these promises do all in your power to uphold this person in faith or something? And we say, we will, and we say it like we mean it, right? I love that, when the church says, we will, uh, and it reverberates through our space. So we have a responsibility as um as the christian family to raise to raise our children not just my my kids that i have but like all of the children in our parish that we have a responsibility to model a christ-like life for them and to like teach sunday school and youth group and do things like that so that they know the difference that it makes to be baptized you with me brilliant so Presentation and examination of the candidates. Do you renounce Satan? Do you renounce evil powers of this world? So it's, we're not asking like, do you think that there are evil powers in this world in our liturgy? Like, hey, 21st century enlightened person, do you think there are evil powers? No, it's just a given. There are evil powers in this world. Satan is real. Do you sort of renounce those spiritual powers? I do, I renounce them, we say. And that you renounce all those sinful desires that draw you from the love of God. I renounce them. And then the first question, do you turn to Jesus Christ? And that's when the turning would happen. Turn to face east and accept him as your savior. So don't say that Episcopalians are never asked that question. Do you accept Jesus as your savior? We are asked it at baptism. So we don't have to, I mean, we have to ask ourselves that question every day. Do I accept Jesus as my savior? I do. Sometimes I think I am too clever and I don't need him. But right, we have to ask ourselves every day. So in the good kind of uh, American evangelical way, where I've jokingly shared that when I was in Rome, Georgia, which by the way, the, the Episcopal Church in Rome, Georgia is called St. Peter's in Rome, <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, but I was serving a little parish called St. James, Cedartown just outside of Rome when I was uh, studying at Swanee. And, you know, I'm dressed just like this, walking down the street, minding my own business, you know, trying to be kind of friendly, but also minding my own business. And to eager Christians of a certain uh, stripe, are like, you know, have you been saved? And my answer was, I hope so. <laughs> um, <laughs> But also like, you know, when are we saved is like in our baptism or take it on back. Like we were saved on Good Friday, right? Jesus outstretched on the cross, we're saved. Um, and we enter into that mystery at, at our baptism. Um, so bless them for asking the question and trying to do things 
uh, that they think are you know is, is sort of meaningful. Um, but before we just kind of say that's not our language, we don't talk like that. We're we're Episcopalians, thank you. It's like no, we do actually talk like that at baptism. Do you accept? Do you turn to Jesus and accept Him as your Savior? Do you put your whole trust in His grace and love? I do. Do you promise to follow and obey Him as your Lord? I do. That's intense. To follow Him and obey Him as your Lord, not exactly um, the kind of language we use this day and age, but we do. <laughs> you know, the church does. The prayer book does. Um, and, it's, and it's the kind of allegiance that he asked for from us, um, that we have to daily renew this baptism, baptismal grace. And we talked maybe a Bible study, maybe in this context a little bit. You know, if you're baptized as a baby and you think, well, that's unfortunate because I don't remember, don't worry about that. You don't need to remember it. Uh, God acted through that uh, sacrament. Uh, those who made promises made promises and whether you remember your baptism or not, you have to renew it every single day because that is the life. That's the life we've chosen to live, baptism. So if you're struggling to say, what difference does this faith make in my life? Open the prayer book, read the baptismal liturgy, ask yourself the questions and respond day by day. I keep a, you know, I keep a little font of holy water by the door when we exit and come in. You know, you just pin it to your wall and, um, you know, we have, we have the water there that helpfully, you know, I can easily bless and um, have a stash. And when we, when we leave and when we enter in, dip your finger, make the sign of the cross, remember your baptism. A beautiful, simple ritual. Uh, when I splash water on my face, which is usually 10 to 15 times a day, um, I always do it in three parts, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to remember my baptism. So do those little clever tricks uh, to remind yourself, remember your baptism, that you're marked as Christ's own forever, and that that's where we put our trust, which is what faith is. We trust that Jesus has shown us the way. We trust that he's the life. We trust that he is the truth, the way to God. So we put our trust there, um, just like you might trust in someone else or something else. You know that feeling. It's less sort of... Um, I, I believe this with my head, although there's a serious place for that. It's I trust this to be the way. My heart has taught me or is teaching me to trust this. The Holy Spirit is giving me grace to trust this. Then we all renew our baptismal covenant after somebody is baptized or before they are rather. Marisa preached on some of this this morning. Um, will you seek and serve Christ in all persons? That's really one that I want to lift up because it is a profound Christological anthropology, theological anthropology, that we see that Christ is in all persons. Because if Christ is God, and we believe that every person is made in the image of God, then every person is made in the image of Christ. Um, and every person has something to show us of the mystery of Christ as we seek and serve that in them. Um, which is a, a profound statement, because then everybody matters eternally. Will you strive for justice and peace among all people? I like that striving idea. 
that we're gonna work for it, for justice and peace, not only pray for it, which we must and we do, but we're also gonna strive and, and do something to make the, mo uh, the world more Christ-shaped. Um, as, you know, trusting that God's working through us, not that we're the savior of the world. Cecil? Are you familiar with the building of Christ Church now? I am. Have you ever looked at the floor? Have I looked at the... Floor? The floor. I don't remember. Maybe. Well, there is a tank in the floor. Cool. And uh, sort of off to the side wing. Uh, and it, you, can t you can take out a section of the floor. Uh, and it, I, as I recall, it's about the size of this table, mm. uh, and and mm -hmm. you, you take the take the lid off. Basically, yes, I do remember this. And you've got a tank full of water. Yeah, and that serves very nicely for baptisms. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, Cecil's uh, lifting up Christ Church Cathedral in Nashville. Uh, keeps a pool of water under a floor, and they can take off the lid from time to time and push people in. <laughs> That's fantastic. We, we wonder, or rather we ask in our renewal, will you continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship? So that's important, the apostles' teaching and fellowship. We as Episcopalians believe that we are a part of that apostolic succession in the church, where, you know, from the apostles down to now, we're continuing in a line of teaching and a line of interpretation and tradition and that that matters, that we're connected to the apostles uh, in, this, in this line of succession. And it's less sort of mechanical, although there's mechanics to it, namely that three other bishops come and have to lay on hands to make a new bishop. You have to have three. Um, and we can trace that back, which is neat. Um, and every time we make a new bishop in the Episcopal Church, we say, you know, this is the 975th bishop in the American succession, um, which, is, which is really neat. But it's, the reason there would be three wasn't like magic. It was to say that these three other apostles and those in the succession of the apostles agree that the person here is teaching the faith soundly and therefore make this person a bishop so that we, the people of God, can trust that our bishop's not a heretic. <laughs> oh, that was fun to say. <laughs> but it's really important, right, that we're teaching the faith as it's been handed on, and it's a living tradition. It's something that is, in order for it to stay the same in terms of what it teaches, John Henry Newman said, it has to be always changing in order for it to teach the same thing. That isn't to say, oh, our Christology is always changing. Like, I'm not sure if Jesus is fully divine this year, but maybe next, not that. That stuff's like established. But in order for us to be living into the fullness of our faith, it's always gonna be shifting and moving and dynamic if it's a living tradition and not just a sort of dead something. Zach, can I ask a very awkward question about all of this? When you came to that the students have to vow that they believe totally in the apostles' teachings, what if you're a student, but you're not totally sure of things like the Immaculate Conception or the Virgin Birth or 
the resurrection, the way it's taught in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I, I think students go there with the best of intentions to be part of the church, but if they're a little bit skeptical about those things, how do you deal with that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, uh you know, early church immaculate conception hadn't fully made its way in yet. That would be a bishop of Rome later, but virgin birth certainly had in resurrection, absolutely, incarnation. Um, and what the church's role, the church's responsibility, the apostles' responsibility. And I only have a job to do because the bishop can't be here this morning. I mean that quite seriously. Like I, I'm only authorized to preach and celebrate and be your priest because the bishop an heir of the, the apostles has said that it's so, or else I couldn't do it. I couldn't just set up shop, which I think is important for a whole host of reasons, just in terms of polity and structure and sociology, but also that the faith is being learned and taught. So the bishop's role and the priest's role um, and those who lead teaching in the church's role is to make sure that we are teaching the faith that has been handed on by the apostles. So if I came to you and said the resurrection, I'm not so sure about it, you would say, you're actually not allowed to teach that because you're a priest and the opinion of Zach doesn't matter. <laughs> like truly, I mean, it protects us from the sort of hot takes of certain clergy. <laughs> That's like, it's not up to you. But the resurrection is the reason I have something to teach and preach. And then the bishop's sole responsibility is to say, Jesus is Lord, he's raised from the dead. Um, Let's let's get let's get to work or let's get down to business or let's party. Um, so those who come inquiring and skeptical and unsure of it all, you just come unsure of it all and, and with an open heart and say, you know, where God, what do you want me to learn from this? And then, you know, the Christian ultimately has to say kind of like, OK, I'm in. Um, or, gosh, I'm really still inquiring. And even when we say I'm in, the ways in which you understand it and your faith is always kind of a, it's a dynamic thing. And on, you know, Monday, you might really be clear on the resurrection and Tuesday, you're struggling with your faith. But the church is an uns unsure. The church is an unclear. Um, and that's what the prayer book really protects the people of God is that we have sound teaching and liturgy um, to trust. And, you know, if virgin birth is something that a person is struggling with, it's not like don't come to church until you have that figured out. Uh, just come and say, here I am. And this is what the mother church teaches. And maybe one day it will sink in and, and let it and don't be too up hard on ourselves about that. But be hard on the clergy and the bishops. <laughs> I mean it. I mean, I, I really do. I, I think. It's become too much of a kind of anything can go kind of thing, um, which I preached a little bit about last Sunday, about the sort of buffet style that I'm, I'm just, nah, that's not compelling to me. I'll go do something else. I'll go, you know, sell cars or something. I got, you know, something to put your hat on to say this is, this is what the church teaches. And I'm a priest. It's like, it's why I always wear black. It's not just because I'm like, um, a curmudgeon or like, you know, whatever. It, it's because I see it as just a uniform, right? It's like, it's not my, it's not my personal interpretation of the priesthood. It's just the uniform, just as a relate. That's, that's me. Um, maybe it's like my baseball playing days. I like a uniform, <laughs> um, but just a priest is a priest, is a priest. 
And you know, different gifts and personality comes through each of those vocations, but a priest is a priest is a priest, is a bishop is a bishop is a bishop, etc. All right. Friends, uh, let me have you for a few minutes think about, you know, maybe maybe you can tell the story of your baptism if you remember it. Um, and think together and, and suggest a way that you could or that you do remember your baptismal identity, you know, on a day to day basis. And you can just be honest and say, like, I don't ever think about that. Um, but if you do and if you want to uh, kind of share some ideas about how could you uh, remember your baptism and have that make a difference in your life on a day to day basis. Is that fair? Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> Friends, I'm going to I'm going to close us with a prayer. I'm going to close this with a prayer, but if you have a few more things to say at your table, please take your time. I just need to head up for the 1115 service. But if you want to finish a conversation, please do. Uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that by water and the Holy Spirit, you have bestowed upon us, your servants, the forgiveness of sin and have raised us to the new life of grace. Sustain us, O Lord, in your Holy Spirit. Give us an inquiring and discerning heart, the courage to will and to persevere, a spirit to know and to love you, and the gift of joy and wonder in all your works. Amen. Thank you all.